Happy Friday. Welcome into Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. Thanks for being with us on yet again a wet Friday. <laughs> are, are we ever going to have like a dry day again? Uh, it's just a uh, dreary, foggy, rainy, cloudy. Apparently we may see the sun early next week. But wow. Yeah, it's uh, it's that time of year. We've talked about it before. It's uh, just got to get through it. Just got to keep grinding. Put that head down, keep grinding. That's right. All right, coming up on the show today, uh, details released from the 911 call for Jim Ursay. We'll get to that right after headlines. Uh, and this ties into headlines. Bill Belichick passed on by the Falcons. Is this it? We'll debate that. Uh, and IU finally has this again for their football program. <laughs> big move. I mean, <laughs> pretty big move for IU to, to finally do this again for football. And in hour number two, uh, we'll go from IU football to IU basketball. Is it a must-win game for the Hoosiers tomorrow at Illinois for their tournament chances? And Purdue trying to do something, which is win at Rutgers. They haven't done it in quite some time. We'll preview that. Also, NFL Conference Championship Weekend AFC matchup. Chiefs at Ravens, NFC matchup, Lions at 49ers. We'll take a look at some of the storylines, make some picks. Uh, NFL stadiums, this ties into that, getting mega contracts now too. And before we leave you, uh, this was missing for 30 years, and it turned up in a man's backyard. All right. That is all to come on the show today. Okay. Can't wait. Loaded show. Let's get at it. Let's, Let's do it. So let's get to... Headlines this morning, and don't forget, you can always be a part of the conversation, 46862, your text line number again, 46862, and you can listen on your radio, or you can listen on stream, 1380thefan.com, via the 1380thefan mobile app, that's free to download, free to listen, or on your smart speaker, which is free as well. All right, so some NFL hires yesterday, and Raheem Morris goes back to the Falcons. Hmm. Interesting move. Not sure I, I get this one. Yeah, it's um, kind of came out of left field. It sounded like, you know, this time last week, it was all but a certainty that Bill Belichick was going to get this job. Uh-huh. Instead, the Falcons hire Raheem Morris, who had been the Rams defensive coordinator, and he gets another opportunity, effectively. And we'll see if it goes any better than the first time around. Um, Belichick, it sounded like um, at one point that Arthur Blank, the owner of the Falcons, was was all in on Bill Belichick. And I don't know if he was, if that was not true or he was uh, talked into Raheem more. I'm not sure how it went. Um, But, you know, he was he was head coach for what, three years with Tampa Bay mixed results and now he'll inherit a team that has no immediate future at quarterback and they're going to have to figure that out whether it's in the draft whether it's via trade uh there's been uh mumblings about if the bears do trade uh justin fields could atlanta be a landing spot so they have their coach in place we'll see if the falcons now can make the personnel decisions to vault them up the NFC. Meanwhile, uh, across the NFC South, the Panthers also have their head coach. They've hired 
Tampa Bay Buccaneers offensive coordinator Dave Canales as their next head coach, the 42-year-old, hoping to turn things around for Bryce Young. Uh, he's had success doing it for Russell Wilson and Geno Smith in Seattle, and then obviously Baker Mayfield last season for the Bucs. And a interesting situation in Carolina. Can you get uh, Bryce Young pointed in the right direction? That's of paramount importance, and we'll see if the hire as the head coach in Carolina can do that. Um, helped the Tampa Bay Buccaneers get to the playoffs. You could say what he did with Baker Mayfield was impressive. Uh, young guy, just only 42. So it was potentially Mike Vrabel. It was uh, Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator with the Lions. Dan Quinn was also in the conversation, but um, Canales gets the job, and we'll see if he can resurrect the Carolina Panthers. So a pair of NFC South teams getting new head coaches yesterday. Finalists in for most valuable player, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Christian McCaffrey, Dak Prescott, and Brock Purdy. Of that most valuable finalist list, who do you feel is the most deserving as the MVP? Uh, Probably Lamar. Uh, Initially, I went Lamar Jackson. I'm going to go Christian McCaffrey. I know Lamar Jackson's going to win it. Um. But what Christian McCaffrey brings to San Francisco is unlike any other running back in the NFL. And I, I also don't like that the list is four quarterbacks and a running back. I mean, come on. Well, that's how it goes. The most important position in football, of course, they're going to be most valuable. That's how it goes. But there are other players who are valuable to their teams that, I, I don't know, I just, I don't like that the Heisman Trophy and right, the MVP it's become a quarterback are just award. a quarterback. Like that's yeah. that's boring to me. They're they're great players that need to be recognized. Well, they got their defensive and offensive player of the year awards, yes. which uh, also also the finalists were named. So I I just I don't know I I get sick of the the uh, the narrative that it's always a quarterback. Now McCaffrey, yes, I I mean. Why is Brock Purdy on that list? I, I get that statistically yeah. he had a good season, but my gosh, can we just stop? McCaffrey is the most valuable player on that team, not Brock Purdy. And uh, I, I think that's a well-thought-out opinion. Yeah, yeah. I, CMR is that dude <laughs> on that team, not Brock Purdy. Yes, I, I would fully agree. Uh, elsewhere on headlines in the NFL... A uh, former college star in some major trouble. Uh-oh. Yes. Uh, we have the the gambling issues that have popped up for college athletes. Well, now, Louisiana State Police investigating a fraudulent online gambling account that's alleged to have been used by former LSU wide receiver Kayshawn Butte. Uh, he bet close to 9,000 times from April of 2022 to May of 2023. 17 of those bets on NCAA football games, at least six on LSU football. Now he's now a member of the New England Patriots as a wide receiver. That's a lot of bets. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm doing the math here. Like, that's an average of about 25 a day. That's like a full time job. <laughs> and I bet a lot, but I don't bet 25 times a day. Um, <laughs> let alone when I'm a college athlete. So, um, I don't know what's going to happen here, but I don't, uh, unfortunately, it's not surprising. Uh, this is something that I think is going to happen more and more and more 
especially when you give certain players money, income, that they're able to go out and, and do this. And all you got to do is start an account. There's no policing, hardly any policing. You start an account, you say you're 21, and you start betting. And unfortunately, in college, there's very little oversight when it comes to this stuff. And he's bet a lot, including on LSU games. Now, I always kind of give him the benefit of the doubt. I, I would be shocked if he bet against LSU, but it's still, it's, it's not a good look. Not at all. No, certainly not. Uh, we move on in headlines from college and NFL over to basketball. And in the NBA, they have named the NBA All-Star Starters coming up in Indianapolis next month. For the West, it'll be LeBron James with his 20th selection. Kevin Durant, Nikola Jokic, Luka Doncic, and Shai Gilgis-Alexander. Really no surprises there. And in the East, Tyrese Halliburton. He gets the start. First pacer to start the All-Star game since Paul George in 2016. Also joins uh, Reggie Miller and Jermaine O'Neal as All-Star starters for the Pacers franchise. So congrats to Halliburton. Elsewhere in the East, Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's the captain, Jason Tatum, Joel Embiid, and Damian Lillard. Any of those 10 starters surprise you? No. All right. I guess the only surprise is the fact that Steph Curry actually is not a starter. True. But the Warriors have stunk, and I I get Gilgis Alexander getting the nod. It's nice to see that you know it's not just all fan vote driven, right? I get yes. that they split it up, but it, it's nice to see that didn't go through. No first-time all-star picks among the starters. but Also not a surprise. Yes, exactly. And the only other, with, with LeBron with 20 uh, all-star games now, the only one in double digits of that starting 10 is Kevin Durant. Wow. So it's just Durant and LeBron with more than uh, nine selections to the all-star game. And LeBron, the first 20-time all-star selection. Pretty impressive, huh? Yeah, passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, so that's a that's a pretty big deal, obviously, as well. And the, the Pacers on the court last night, obviously no Halliburton as he's dealing with injuries. Pascal Siakam, Pacers didn't win his home debut as an Indiana Pacer, but I think this will suffice. Siakam with a triple-double, 26 points, 13 rebounds, 10 assists, as the Pacers take down the 76ers 134-122. to Joel Embiid had 31 points. Uh, but Indiana coming away with the win without Halliburton in the lineup. This is a big win. You look what the Pacers have done against some of the top teams in the East this season. We know they've been successful against Milwaukee. Well, the Celtics, Bucks, and Sixers are now 4-8 and eight against the Pacers, 91-29 and 29 against everyone else. Mm. Pacers have done pretty good against Milwaukee and against Philly. It's just some of these middling teams that they're not beating. And the real concern is, can you take care of those teams so that you don't have to match up against Milwaukee, right. Philly, uh, the, the, those sort of teams, Boston, in the first round, and avoid that? Yes. It's uh, it, the Pacers 8-4 and four against the Eastern Conference's top three teams, which is the aforementioned three, uh, which means that they are 17-16 and 16 against everyone else. It's like, come on, Pacers. Yeah. Pick it up. Play the with, with the intensity that you're playing against the best in the East. Play that way every night, and you'll be in good shape. And hopefully that's the next step that is taken because that's what's going to earn them 
a much, much better playoff spot. Yeah, and getting Tyrese Halliburton will yeah, be a big too. part of that, that when he too. gets back. Uh, from NBA basketball to college basketball, and Purdue-Fort Wayne, congrats. They finally snapped that losing hey, streak. they actually won a game. Uh, they go to Northern Kentucky, hold off the uh, the Norse 63-58 to on the road last night. Jalen Jackson, uh, 17 points and 9 rebounds for the Dons in the win. So they get back in the win column, snapping that five-game losing streak. And Eric Mulder had a highlight block at the end of this game uh, to really seal it for the Dons. You know, it's a team in Northern Kentucky that Purdue-Fort Wayne has had so much trouble with over the years, and yet this year they knock them off twice, had already beaten them at home, and now going on the road in Highland Heights in beating Northern Kentucky. It was a big win last night for the Macedons because you felt like with the way things were trending, of course, when's this team going to get another win? And traditionally they struggle against Northern Kentucky, but got it done Last night, the Dons will be next in action. Uh, I think that was the last game of January. They'll yes. be back next Thursday, 7 o'clock, against Milwaukee at the Coliseum. Okay. In the first of three straight games at home. First of February, so the Dons done for the month. Get a little bit of a break, and we'll see what they can do next week. And the comments announced some roster moves. Matthew Wedman uh, loaned uh, to the AHL and the Henderson Silver Knights. Um, this is just the nature of the beast, right, for the ECHL. Also, the Comets have received Mark antoine Pepin in a trade from Troy Rivier, and then Mackenzie Dwyer has been placed on waivers. Some, uh, some, some moves yesterday, and I know Matthew Wedman is one of the more well-liked Comets, so to him getting it promoted. Disappointing for the Comets, it's big for Wedman, of course, to uh, go up to the AHL. 46862. Again, your text line number 46862. If you have thoughts, let us know on the text line. About to talk Colts and Jim Ursay here in a bit. Just put in CK before your message, though, if you send a text to us. So they have released details on the 911 call um, back on December 8th. And it was Colts COO Pete Ward, who's been the longtime right hand man for Ursay, who called 911. He was driving. Uh, he thought Ursay had congestive heart failure, according to the details. But he called 911 on his way to Ursay's home at 4:31 in the morning. That morning, um, what was confusing about the story I read, the way I understand it was, I think Ursay's nurse perhaps contacted him, and then he called 911. Um, but he he arrived at the house. Um, officers tried to do what they call a sternum rub. And that didn't work, and then they gave him a dose of Narcan, and then medics showed up, and then he was taken to the hospital. So, But when Ward arrived, Ursay's nurse said that Ursay had low oxygen levels, like it's 71, and typical, I guess, is what, 95 to 100? So that's not good. No, not good. So um, interesting details on what's coming out. Nothing really... I mean, new, I guess, in this, just details of what he is going through and, and having to be administered Narcan is a really good indicator that it was some sort of overdose uh, of opiates and stuff, whether it was um, medication, whether it was intentional, unintentional, uh, we don't really know, but um, hopefully Jim Irsay is getting the help he needs at this point. Um, we know his history. We know he hasn't been 
seen or heard from in a while. Yeah, since the Steelers game. And uh, I think we know why. Hopefully, he's he's getting treatment. Did so, you see the also the 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 uh, the dash cam or the uh, that was released by the Carmel Police Department with the cop that was heading to Jim Mercer's house? That I did not see, and was like blaring to Taylor Swift. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, uh, once he he lit it up and went lights and sirens and speeding uh, to Jim Mercer's residence, just was blaring Taylor Swift. What song was it? Was it Getaway Car? <laughs> uh, that's a very good question. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, it was Cruel Summer, for okay. those that were interested. Followed by Kenya Grace's Strangers. Okay. That was also on <laughs> Fascinating. That. I didn't know there was a breakdown of what he was Yeah, well, to. of course, it's at TMZ, but uh, I guess he was <laughs> blaring it. This, this cop, apparently, uh, once he's able to uh, turn on lights and sirens, likes to break it down with some Taylor Swift and Kenya <laughs> Grace, apparently. So the Colts released a statement back on January 17th um, that was still basically reiterating Ursay recovering from that respiratory illness and they haven't said anything since I'll just be curious if anything comes out in the coming days weeks months but this seems to be all we're going to get on this situation for the time being yeah I was kind of surprised when this initially came out that there wasn't even just a general statement by the Colts but no they've uh, they've kind of gone silent on all of this eventually they will have to speak against it. I'm not really one that says, oh my gosh, they got to explain this. And Jim Irsay has to answer to the media and blah, 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 because this is like a personal health issue, you know, and uh, it's none of our business, quite frankly, for most people. But unfortunately, Jim Irsay is in a position where it is our business, but hopefully he's just getting the help he deserves and, and needs and uh, he can recover and move on. I just, I'm, I don't feel like the Colts owe us an explanation whatsoever about what's going on. No. I, I mean, the only thing is because he's a public figure, that's why all of this is. is oh, yeah, absolutely. But um, I think the Colts are doing what they should be doing and just not even commenting on it. And and hopefully Jim say uh, getting some assistance behind the scenes. Do you think we see him around the organization, say, in time for the draft? Yes, I do think so. Because that's, um, that's really the next big milestone thing, assuming he's, you know, not at the Super Bowl. Which I don't expect. No. But um, the draft is what, they moved it up to late March, or no, it's late April. So yeah, I think I think we see Jim Irsay, uh by the draft. It's another three months. Yes, plenty of time. Uh, meanwhile, someone we won't expect to see as part of the draft process, Bill Belichick. He was passed on by the Falcons. Is this it? For his NFL head coaching career. We'll discuss that next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kenny with you. And you can join the conversation at 46862. Again, 46862 is the text line. Just put in CK before your message. <laughs> Someone said I looked for the leave a rant button. So it's like a message. Uh, like a like a text bubble. Oh, it's a text bubble. I didn't yes. know it was like a microphone. Or yeah, whatever. and then you can hit like the microphone and record, or you can just like send it in. Record your rant and yes. then send it in. Okay. So that is that is how you do it on the thirteen eighty the fan mobile app, which is free to download. You can listen anytime on there. Uh, so Bill Belichick was passed on by the Falcons. Is this it for Belichick and his NFL head coaching career? So the Falcons going back to Raheem Morris as an NFL head coach. 21 and 38 
I mean, it's, it doesn't really instill a lot of confidence. But then again, Bill Belichick hasn't instilled a lot of confidence either. Uh, Morris had a very short stint going 4-7 and seven in Atlanta back in 2020 as an interim head coach uh, during that time. So that's where we're at. And for Belichick, there are no other interviews on the horizon, right? He was in Atlanta. In fact, I even saw someone post on social media that they saw him getting lunch after his interview at Chick-fil-A, <laughs> <laughs> which is obviously peak Atlanta there. Yes. Um, but Falcons only team to interview him. Now, he's considered a long shot for Seattle, also Washington, which Washington was like the favorite going into the offseason as far as where he would end up. And the obvious questions that I think were getting answered, you know, why would you pay him an exorbitant salary based on, you know, 4-13 and 13 this past season and the way things have trended in the wrong direction post-Brady in New England? Reports where he was getting $25 million a year. And then if you're not going to pay him that kind of money... Um, why would you give him total control of the roster? Because clearly he wasn't good at developing talent and finding that next quarterback either. So, I mean, teams have, have drawn a pretty clear line in the sand that they're just not interested. And even though he's 15 wins behind Don Shula for uh, tops all time, age is against him, time is against him. He's turning 72 in April. So it's just getting harder and harder and, I think it's safe to say he's not getting a head coaching job this offseason cycle. I think there's two different camps in in relation to to thoughts about Bill Belichick. There's a lot of people that still consider him the greatest coach in NFL history. Some people put him up there in terms of team sport North American history. And I do think we tend to forget how good Bill Belichick was in his quote-unquote prime. But I think what has been proven since Tom Brady left New England, and this was always the question when the two were together, is who is more responsible for the dynasty that New England had? Was it Bill Belichick or Tom Brady? I think that question has been answered. Tom Brady goes to Tampa Bay, wins a Super Bowl. Meanwhile, Bill Belichick goes 29-38 and 38 since TB12 left. And I think you look at his age, you look at his lack of track record without Tom Brady, both before TB and after TB, and the fact that he wants upwards of $20 million a year, which is more than most owners are going to want to pay for any head coach, let alone Bill Belichick. Is it a priority for Bill Belichick to surpass Don Shula's all-time wins record? Um, I, I feel like it is for him. He's 16 away. I think, um, but he may not get that chance. And I think also something that needs to be brought up is Andy Reid is hot on the heels of Bill Belichick, George Hallis, and Don Shula in terms of career wins. And as long as Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes stay together, he'll probably break that record um, at some point. But I will throw one team out at you. Okay, remember when we did this with the uh, Jim Harbaugh? month ago and look at us i'm gonna throw one team at you for 2025 well and that's the thing there are teams that could still be interested in 2025 um in belichick but i think we both agree though he's not getting a job this offseason cycle no it doesn't look like i mean he's he's 29 and 38 post brady the team that i would pinpoint and 
it would be right up the owner's alley are the Dallas Cowboys. If Mike McCarthy and the Dallas Cowboys do not get it done next year, and whatever that means, do not get it done, whether it's a get to a Super Bowl or at least get to the conference championship game, whatever, Mike McCarthy is going to be done. It's easier to move past Mike McCarthy than Dak Prescott. And I could see Jerry Jones hiring Bill Belichick to try to be the guy to take that franchise over the top. I I get that on the surface, but you're talking about two guys who want control. I mean, Jerry Jones wants control, and Bill Belichick's going to want control. Like, no one's going to budge in that scenario. I don't know if Bill Belichick is going to want control. Because remember, he was offering to give up control at New England. What's more important to Bill Belichick in terms of the ego? Is he more? Does he more want control, or does he want a chance to to surpass Don Chula as the all-time winningest coach in the NFL? The words were giving up control, but he never actually went out and did it because they keened him before he could. And I guess my thing with Belichick is it's easy for him to say, "Yeah, I'm willing to give up control." You got to prove that because he hasn't proved that. No, I agree. I think. The question is, how important is that record to Bill Belichick? We don't really know. It may mean nothing. It wouldn't surprise me if it meant nothing to Bill Belichick. He's just that kind of guy. Uh, But if it does mean a lot, what kind of sacrifices do you make in order to try to get those 16 or so wins to surpass Don Shula? If... If the Cowboys are annoying from a national media perspective now, can you imagine <laughs> Bill Belichick, Jerry Jones, and how annoying that would be? Uh, someone texting in a 46862. Zero chance Belichick is going to Dallas to deal with a meddling owner. No chance. I, I agree with the texter because neither one will be willing to budge to give up any level of control. Or even if Belichick says he wants to give up control, as soon as something happens that he disagrees with, right? It's going to be some sort of firestorm behind the scenes that we'll find about after he gets canned. Desperation can lead to um, opposites getting together and 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 coexisting. The desperation for Bill Belichick to get 14, 15 more wins to surpass Don Shula and desperation for Jerry Jones in trying anything to get Dallas back to the Super Bowl. And I could imagine those scenarios bringing those two guys together. When has Jerry Jones truly been desperate enough to get Dallas back to the Super Bowl, though? I mean, he's done the same thing time and time again, right? The fact that they brought back Mike McCarthy, which I didn't feel like he necessarily needed to be fired after the loss, and Jerry Jones was was kind of, I don't want to say speechless because he was talking, but he was shocked and kind of caught off guard because he, like a lot of people, thought the Cowboys had a legit shot to get to the Super Bowl. I mean, at minimum, the NFC Championship game. So that was a surprise, the loss to the Packers and how that went down. But I don't think Jerry Jones is suddenly going to adjust and, and change. I mean, we, we talk about owners and coaches adjusting and changing, but like at some point, and both those guys, Belichick and, and Jones, at a point in their career where they're not adjusting or changing anything, it's it's their way. They've done it their way for so long. There's absolutely no way they're going to adjust. I do think, though, that we can agree that Bill Belichick is not going to take over a a franchise that is rebuilding. No, absolutely That's not. why Atlanta didn't make much sense, really, to me, is they're not close. So when you look at maybe 
hiring Bill Belichick next offseason to take a team that is set up to win now over the top, you can mention Dallas, and you can also mention the Buffalo Bills. If Sean McDermott doesn't get it done next year, 2024, could they look at Bill Belichick to come in and be that missing piece? What about the Browns? I mean, they battled injuries, still made the playoffs, say everyone's healthy. Do we really think the Browns are that good? I mean, Joe Flacco, it's like Geno Smith. It was a really good story, but he's not the long-term answer there. Well, yeah, but they have Deshaun Watson. He was just hurt. You think Deshaun Watson is legit? I mean, I I think when he's healthy, he's a top 10 quarterback. Uh, I don't know about that. He wasn't that good when he was playing this year before he got hurt. No, but I, I mean, he comes back next year, say he's healthy for the bulk of the season. I I think he's, he's definitely top half. And I think he could fall at the end of that top 10 range. I know, still think eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 range. Yeah. I just, uh, he's so far removed from that 2020 year where he was really, really good. It's been two injury filled seasons in Cleveland. Um, I, I just don't know if he can return to form. And even the games he played, it wasn't like he looked like the 2020 version of himself. But, but I mean, they have a quarterback. They have pieces on offense. They have a great defense. Like, everything's there. They just need to be healthy. And Kevin Stefanski, I, I, I mean, he's a good coach. But, I mean, Belichick would be a, a way to perhaps push that franchise over the top. And it would be coming full circle. Yes, with him being the head coach of the Browns in the 90s before being canned. So I do think he he has an opportunity at a contender in 2025. Let's, let's be real. Of the open jobs, the only real contender you looked at or a team that was close to contending were the Chargers because of the quarterback situation, right? Next year, who knows where Dallas is at? Who knows where Buffalo is at? You mentioned uh, Cleveland. A dark horse would be the Kansas City Chiefs. Well, Andy Reid want to keep coaching. There are rumors out there that Reid is going to retire after the season. I mean, there were rumors last season, too, of that. So, I mean, uh, is that too far-fetched? I don't know. But the the talk is definitely out there that Reid could retire any of these seasons. Whether it's this year, uh, next year, that seems to be on the table. But I think when you look at that, is that an Eric Bieniemy type job? Um I don't think it's a Matt Nagy job, somebody within the system that uh, gets promoted. But um, I think it's a, a a team to watch, a franchise to watch as well. But I don't think Bill Belichick is going to the Jets, for example, or the Saints, to be to example, or even the Bears, as an example. He's going to take over a team that has an established quarterback that uh, at least ownership feels should be achieving more. I'm surprised the Bills have just done everything as is. Yeah, I I agree. I'm surprised Dallas has done everything as is as well. Those are are two franchises that were legit contenders for a Super Bowl this year and and have been in past years when when healthy. Yes, especially the Bills for several years now. For the Cowboys, it's it's a matter of if Dak is healthy, they seem to at least be a a playoff team, right? Yeah, that defense has been really good, but still. I would put Buffalo over Dallas. But yeah, the fact that neither one of them have done anything significant in terms of replacing or at least opening jobs is kind of interesting. 
couple of interesting texts as far as leaning spots. And this this isn't for this offseason, mind you, but they're saying Belichick to Cincy. You know, do the Bengals move on from Zach Taylor if they have another bad, well, bad year next year? I, I mean, a lot of what the Bengals did or didn't do this year is on Joe Burrow's injury. I don't think we can judge Zach Taylor for this year. And I thought they exceeded expectations once Joe Burrow went out with Jake Browning coming in and playing pretty serviceable. So I don't know if he's on the block, but I do know that there are going to be teams even interested in Bill Belichick this time around next season, but he doesn't have the longevity or the patience at this point of his career to do a complete rebuild. He's going to have to join a contender and there could be some open jobs at contenders next off season. We mentioned it with Buffalo, with Dallas, you never know, I guess in Cincinnati, Cleveland, who knows, but um, several of those teams in win now mode. And if they think that Bill Belichick can be the catalyst to push them over the top, I have my doubts, but they won't hesitate to hire a 72-year-old Bill Belichick. Our poll question today is going to be pretty obvious. Will Bill Belichick ever be an NFL head coach again? And here, here's my biggest argument as to why I think this is it for Belichick. The Falcons were the only team so far in this, this offseason hiring process to even give him an interview, right? No other team even gave him an interview. If there was interest, other teams would be interviewing him. But the fact that they're either afraid that uh, he's lost it as far as coaching ability with how the Patriots stunk down the stretch post-Brady, again, 29-38, and 38, but really bad last year at 4-13, and 13. or the fact that they don't want to pay him the salary that would be required and or give up the control that would be required for Belichick. To me, that, that says if there's no market this year, in fact, the only one team even gave him an interview and that was it, why would the market suddenly change next year? You, you become more out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, my only thing is there could be more quote-unquote contenders in the NFL looking for head coaches than what we've seen in this cycle. But contenders, quote-unquote, is a relative term, and contenders one year are not the next year, and vice versa. So anything can happen in the NFL. Well, and and that's, that's the thing, right? We always have at least, what, four teams that miss the playoffs, make the playoffs the following year. So it's it's never as, as chalky as you think it will be in terms of season by season. You can't just carry things over, which is what we, we usually do, right? We look at the schedules and, and get through preseason yeah, and start and making going predictions. Wins and losses and you're just basing it off it. whatever happened the last season. Exactly. Which it is a baseline, but it's not an end all be all. I mean, look at the NFC South. We always seem that division kind of flip seemingly every year. So that's what makes it so tricky. Well, I mean, you don't have to Look any further than Houston going from last year to winning winning 10 games and winning the division this year. You look at what Cleveland was able to do, um, you know, the, the Packers. Uh, of course, the Lions is the best example in the NFC. So you, you look at uh, what can happen from one year to the next and who had, you know, the, the Lions were a trendy pick, but who had the Texans? You know, so anything can happen. Yeah, I mean, we were mocking the Texans early on in the season. It's like, well, the, the Colts, I mean, you got to beat the Texans, and, and they did. Right. But you're, you're like, yeah, that's a given. That's a, as a win you just check off on the, the win-loss column. Uh, but that was certainly not the case down the stretch with the Texans 
ending up winning the AFC South, which nobody would have predicted that going into the season. No, I mean, it's even the Colts when, when preseason. When we, every time we talked about the Colts, we'd have a couple texters talking about how little amount of wins they were going to have. And they won nine games with the quarterback that they didn't even think would be playing for them this season, at least very much. So you go from four wins to nine wins. Nobody expected that outside of uh, inside the building in Indianapolis. So you, you just never know the peaks and valleys, the topsy-turvy world of the NFL and what's going to happen. Poll question today is up. Will Bill Belichick be an NFL head coach again? Caleb Kinney, 1380 on Twitter slash X. You can vote on there or vote on the text line at 46862. Again, 46862. Just put in CK before your message. A couple other thoughts on Belichick before we move on. Someone texting in Belichick to Jacksonville. That seems like a good fit. If they struggle again next year, they have Trevor Lawrence, right? They have pieces. That seems like it'd be a good fit. Someone else saying, I would bring Mr. Belichick in as an advisor, which is what a lot of teams do, and maybe that's what he does next year as an advisor on a, a staff. Yeah, it's just, um, I don't know. Is the NFL changing and going away from guys like Bill Belichick? You look at the youth that's being hired, and also, t- to be honest, you know, the the – the people of color. You have four coaches of color hired in one cycle for the first time ever. And Raheem Morris, the most recent, of course. And you have offensive-minded coaches seemingly getting more, like that being more of a focus in jobs. Now, not across the board, right? But more often than, than not, offensive-minded coaches tend to be more of the, the favorites for these jobs. And you're you're everybody's always trying to find the next uh, best young coach. I mean, you look at Sean McVay is 37, Shane Steichen is 38, uh, D'Amico Ryan's is 39, Zach Taylor is 40, Mike McDaniel is 40. Everybody's going younger, 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 and Bill Belichick is far from that. I, I think his best chance is a team whose window is still open, but will close in the immediate future and they get desperate and hope that Bill Belichick is that elixir that gets them over the top. Someone texting in at 46862, do you think the perception of Bill Belichick would be different if Brady hadn't turned around and won a Super Bowl without him? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I, I think people would have realized that it's more of, the, well, you can't win without a quarterback in the NFL and it finally caught up to Belichick. It would have been That would have been more of the narrative than Tom Brady left, won a Super Bowl, and Belichick has, has been middling at best since. Yes. I think it shows the importance of a quarterback. Does it... Do, is, is it maybe too far to say that Bill Belichick can't win without Tom Brady or Bill Belichick just can't win without a proven NFL quarterback? I think those are two separate arguments. I would think most people would argue the, the latter and not that he can't win without Tom Brady... Yes, he hasn't won without Tom Brady, but if he had another elite quarterback, I, I would think he could win. Not or, saying he's going to yeah. win a Super Bowl, but I think you're, you're talking about a playoff team. And that's going to be the question this time next year is, are there franchises out there that have a elite quarterback or who they think is elite that can benefit from having Bill Belichick as a head coach? The only open job this year that had that were the Chargers, and they were dead set on Jim Harbaugh. 
Well, and doesn't it say, though, a lot that Jim Harbaugh was favored over Bill Belichick in the hiring uh, cycle? Yes, I, th- I think so. I think that's that's telling. I think it's and, and Harbaugh's, telling. I mean, he's 60 years old. I mean, it's not like he's 45. So it, it says a lot that Harbaugh was the, the guy that the Chargers locked in on and, and several teams interviewed. He was the hot candidate. It wasn't the fact that Bill Belichick was suddenly available. No, absolutely. So... Uh, texts keep coming in. Dallas should have brought him in on. It shows how mediocre Jerry Jones wants to be to keep things the same. I thought in the immediate aftermath of that disappointment for the Dallas Cowboys that Mike McCarthy was done. The fact that he's not I is very interesting to me because usually Jerry Jones shoots from the hip yes. and would fire Mike McCarthy. There would be some sort of fallout after another disappointing postseason exit after winning 12 games. The fact that that didn't happen... I don't know. It shows maturation of Jerry Jones. I don't know if you should. And even the Dallas Cowboys fans that I know immediately in the aftermath wanted everybody fired, but the further they get past it, they're looking at it and, and saying, well, what's, you know, what's the point? You know, like McCarthy, what is it really his fault? Blah, blah, blah. But would Jerry Jones bring on Bill Belichick as that elusive advisor as sitting and waiting, as maybe outside or inside pressure on Mike McCarthy. And if they start two and four next season, Mike McCarthy gets fired, Bill Belichick is promoted. I could see that. We shall see what happens. But again, let us know your thoughts. Poll question of the day, will Bill Belichick be an NFL head coach again? Uh, That is at Twitter slash X, uh, Caleb Kinney, 1380, the handle you can vote in the poll uh, today. Coming up on the other side, from the NFL to college football and IU, finally making a change for the better for the fan base. We'll explain that next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, you're on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Happy Friday. Thanks for being with us. 46862 is how you joined the conversation. Again, 46862, the text line number. Just put in CK before your message. We'll get to it throughout the course of the show here on this Friday and wrapping up our number one on the show here on a Friday. And big news for IU football. They finally have a spring football game again. It was announced last night. It will be Thursday, April 18th, 8 p.m. Warm-ups begin at 730 at Memorial Stadium in Bloomington. Now, you're probably wondering, why on a Thursday night? That's kind of odd. Well... Uh, I did some some reading, and it makes sense. The Little 500 is that weekend. It's on Friday and Saturday. Ah. So that's why they're doing it that way, and that just means they'll get more people probably in on that Thursday night for the spring football game. IU didn't hold a spring football game in 2020 or 2021 due to COVID and haven't in the season since. In fact, this will be the first spring game since 2019 for the Hoosiers. And this is a, a, a way that... Again, new head coach Kurt Signetti knows how to juice up the fan base, right? This will certainly help in giving people a look. And well, I get it. I get it. The spring game is just kind of for show. Yeah, but it's for the fans mostly, which and is that's a way that's, to that's a way to actually yeah. get fans excited. Mind boggling to me that Tom Allen didn't have one. And I think in his warped mind, it gave opponents a chance yeah. to see what Indiana had. Like it mattered. Correct. Okay. So it was always absurd to me that Tom Allen didn't have it. COVID's one thing, but after COVID, still not having one was absolutely absurd. If you want to build up excitement for your program annually, particularly for a program that struggles to do that, 
You need to take advantage of every opportunity you have to try to build that up. And a spring game is a perfect way to do that. Now, it's unfortunate for Indiana that in 2021, they didn't have it due to COVID because that spring game would have been a draw, right? And that's just the, the reality. Fact their 2020 season was pretty solid. So it's good to see that Kurt Signetti is bringing back what should be a, a no-brainer for every college program. I mean, it, it, it was absurd that they didn't have one. And then one other quick note in high school football, Snyder head coach Kurt Tippman has been named the Region 3 All-Star coach for the North-South game. Uh, so that will be in July, coming up this summer. It's been a fruitful offseason for Kurt Tippman in terms of honors and being named IBCA Coach of the Year, or IFCA, excuse me, IFCA Coach of the Year for Indiana, now the Region 3 uh, All-Star coach for the North-South game. So well-deserved for Coach Tippman. Coming up on the other side, we'll talk college basketball. Is it a must-win game tomorrow for IU at Illinois? And can Purdue finally stop a losing streak in Piscataway? That's next as we kick off hour number two here on a Friday. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two here on a Friday. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. Justin, you ever just want to, like, work into a conversation, get some facts, and come, come back, back and, and see me. me. You ever just want to say that to I someone? try to do it every day. <laughs> in the at least one conversation. Just, it sounds nice. Yes. Just one of the, one of the all-time rants uh, in, in our intro, which was a joy to put together when I put that whole thing together when we started the show. Yes. So, uh, good stuff there, as always, from Jim Calhoun. Uh, coming up this hour, speaking of college basketball, must-win game for IU at Illinois coming up tomorrow afternoon. And Purdue trying to do something they haven't done in quite some time. We'll get to that coming up. Also this hour, NFL Conference Championship Weekend Preview. Ravens hosting the Chiefs. The Lions at the 49ers. We'll have both games right here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. AFC game will be joined in progress after Purdue-Rutgers probably around 3.30 or so. And then obviously 49ers-Lions in its entirety uh, kick off at 6.30, that one. But both games here on the fan. Also on this hour, even NFL stadiums are getting mega contracts. We'll explain that. And something that was missing for 30 years turned Hmm. up in a man's backyard. It was wanted by the city of Louisville. All right. Well, I'll give you details on that after 8.50 when we wrap it up here on a Friday. 46862 is your text line number. Again, 46862. As always, just put in CK first, then your message. We will get to it throughout the show. And don't forget, you can always listen to us via the stream, 1380thefan.com, 1380thefan app. That is free for you to download or on your smart speaker as well. And if you miss anything on the show in hour number one, want to get caught up, uh, the podcast will be posted for you. Uh, Just look for it, 1030, 11 o'clock, uh, roughly each day after the show and we'll have that up for you and you can get caught up on anything you missed and you can as always download it for free Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts alright so college basketball and it, it's been a quieter week with the schedule in the Big Ten right IU hasn't played since last Friday night and the annual Loss at the Kohl Center <laughs> in Madison, Wisconsin, as we saw last Friday night. Um, but now they have another opportunity. And this is this is a stretch that you pointed to during the season about it being very important for Indiana. 
And that's this stretch of Purdue at home, at Wisconsin, at Illinois. If you could just win one of those games, right, then you felt like IU had a chance to make the NCAA tournament. Well, they got blown out by Purdue at home. They got blown out at Wisconsin. And now they're playing an Illinois team that has Terrence Shannon Jr. back after the the court order, despite the rape allegations. He's back on the court. So Illinois has their best player back in the lineup. And this, to me, you and I both don't like using the term must win for stuff, but this feels like a must win game in terms of making the NCAA tournament for Indiana. I think when you look at... Indiana's schedule they're running out of opportunities to put together a resume that will earn them an at-large bid and I think in that sense this is a huge game because you look at the schedule and yeah you have a fair amount of Big Ten games left over a dozen maybe even like 14 games but you're running out of prime games to put on your resume resume builders so to speak tomorrow night or tomorrow afternoon against illinois being one of them going to purdue is another one uh when wisconsin comes to the assembly hall in february nebraska is another one one. just barely it would count as a quad one but i think in the sense of indiana being a at large with some people think that they are relatively close to which they're not you need to win a fair amount of these quote-unquote big games left to even have a shot. And I think you're playing yourself more and more into what I look at Purdue-Fort Wayne territory is having to win your conference tournament, something that Indiana has never done, won the Big Ten tournament. So this is a big game in the sense that they're running out of opportunities to build a resume good enough to be considered for an at-large bid. And this is the season where we talk a lot about quad one, quad two, right? As far as the metrics and it's it, all that means quad one counts. If you beat a team and you're the home team, it's ranked one through 30 in the net neutral site, one through 50 away, one through 75 quad two, 31 through 75 at home, 51 through hundred on the neutral site, 76 to 135 uh, on the road. So you look at, I use quad one chances Left in the season, obviously Purdue on the road. Uh, Wisconsin would be one of those other opportunities for them. And that's really about it. I mean, Michigan State also somehow is 21st in the net. Not sure how, but they are. <laughs> uh, Illinois which coming up tomorrow. So they're running out of chances. I mean, and they've had plenty of chances, right? You get Purdue twice. Uh, you played Auburn who's eighth. You played UConn, who's ninth. Um, all the Big Ten teams they played, Kansas, 16th. Like, IU's had plenty of chances to build up an NCAA tournament-worthy resume. They just simply haven't done it. Their only marquee win is a quad two home win against Ohio State. That's it. And that's simply not enough for an NCAA tournament resume. Now, uh, another question for tomorrow is, Kalel, where is he going to play or not? Last I saw, he was trending toward a return after practice yesterday. But that's that's a guy IU desperately needs in a game like this. And I think when you look at what Indiana's keys are in this game, it's been the keys all season in terms of being able to avoid turnovers and shooting well. 
do we see a team that maybe has a little bit more urgency to launch shots from the outside tomorrow? You say, all right, IU's had a good, solid week to evaluate what works, what doesn't, what changes do you need to make to have a chance here in this in for most of the second half of the Big Ten season. Do we see the same IU team that comes out? And I think maybe that'll be the most frustrating thing for Indiana fans if you go out tomorrow and it just looks like the same team. Which is kind of what I expect tomorrow, to be honest. I don't expect any really big surprises on how IU comes out and plays, and I would absolutely be shocked if they win this game on the road in Champaign. Yeah, it's not a, a place that has treated the Hoosiers very well over time. And for Indiana, I mean, this... Yes, they still have Purdue on the schedule again. They still have Michigan State. They still have Wisconsin, right? Yes. Uh, coming up on the schedule. So there are still other opportunities. But at some point, you're running out of opportunities. And you can't just keep waiting for the next game. Oh, is this the one they're going to to finally pull off a big win? Because you've, you've waited long enough, right? They, they've had, what, half a dozen so far on the season? I mean, UConn, Auburn, Kansas... Purdue, Wisconsin. Haven't been able to get one of them. And at some point, if you can't get one, you're not going to get any. And, and ultimately, that is how I feel about this team, right? We already know who they are, and they're a team that maybe if everything goes perfectly could play an elite team close, but they're not going to get over the hump. And, no, and tomorrow are. feels like another opportunity for that. And in this three-game stretch... If they're able to get that tomorrow, maybe, just maybe, the season could turn around, but this feels like a tipping point for this season. I think when you looked at it and you said, okay, UConn, oh, it's early, that maybe they can figure it out. Uh, Auburn, eh, it's early, it's just December, Kansas, right? Now you're about to flip the calendar to February. It's no longer early, okay? And the urgency has to be there for Indiana. They can say, well, we have the majority of our Big Ten season left to go. Yeah, true, but you have very limited opportunities to try to make big jumps in the eyes of the committee. And right now, you're not even close. And if you can win at Illinois, maybe it opens up some eyes. And then you can get on a bit of a run. You go to Ohio State uh, in a couple weeks. You go to Purdue. You know, that's the big thing is Indiana hasn't taken advantage of the opportunities presented itself at home or on neutral sites. So when it played UConn at the Garden and got blown out, when it played Auburn in Atlanta and got blown out, when it played Kansas at home and lost, those were opportunities to get resume building wins and the, and the Hoosiers didn't take advantage of it. Now to get those, they have to go to true road environments. Illinois, uh, Columbus, West Lafayette. That's where they have to go to get these wins. They've done themselves no favors. We said it before. They have no marquee victories, let alone several, and they're running up opportunities to get them. And now to earn them, they have to find a way to beat good teams on the road Something that they haven't been able to do. They can't even beat good teams, let alone good teams on the road. Absolutely. 46862, your text line number 46862, if you have thoughts on Indiana. Meanwhile, Purdue going on the road on Sunday to Biscataway to take on Rutgers in a place that has not been kind to the Boilers. Purdue looking for their first win at what is now Jersey Mike's Arena since 2018. Hard to believe it's been that long. I don't understand 
what it is with Rutgers being the nemesis for both IU and Purdue in men's basketball, but that's just the way it has been for quite some time. And getting a win at home is one thing, but uh, IU already had that ugly performance a couple weeks ago at Rutgers. Purdue, we'll see what they can do coming up Sunday afternoon. And in the midst of history, I saw this stat a couple days ago that uh, in at least in terms of, of someone doing the research, Purdue has never beaten four straight Big Ten opponents by 14 or more points. Ever. Four in a row. And that's what they've done. And they'll try to make it five with Rutgers. They'll just take a win in Piscataway at this point. Yes. They don't care what it looks like by how many, but it shows the dominance that Purdue has been on in recently and, and the fact that they have never in their history, beaten four consecutive Big Ten teams by 14 or more points, something they've done uh, over the last couple of weeks, including that route of the Hoosiers in Bloomington. Purdue looking to make it five in a row, both IU and Purdue on Fox this weekend. Uh, Hoosiers at Illinois, 3 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. Purdue um, at Jersey Mike's, 1 o'clock on Sunday afternoon on Fox. And, of course, you can listen to IU tomorrow, 92.3 on WoWo, our sister station, uh, for that game, pregame at 2, again, tip at 3. And on Sunday, right here for Purdue on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM, pregame at noon, tip at 1 o'clock for Purdue and Rutgers. Coming up on the other side, time to preview NFL Conference Championship Weekend. What do we expect to happen on Sunday, and what is the Super Bowl matchup we're discussing coming up Monday morning on the show? Next, you're on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on a Friday. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kenny with you on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. 46862 is the text line number. Again, 46862. You can also vote in our Twitter slash X poll question of the day. Will Bill Belichick be an NFL head coach again? You can vote on that. Caleb Kenny 1380 is the handle. Again, Caleb Kenny. 1380. Pretty simple. Uh, that's how you vote on that. And speaking of the NFL, time to preview what's happening this weekend for the AFC and NFC Conference Championship Games. And Justin, you, you look at these matchups, and I guess we shouldn't be surprised that the Chiefs are there. We sh- definitely should not be surprised the 49ers are there. The Lions, definitely a bit of a surprise. I think they're a surprise not to... Not to say that the the Lions aren't deserving or anything mm-hmm. like that. I just feel like we expected the Lions to be a playoff team this year. We still had our doubts because it was the Lions. But not only have they made the playoffs, but they've won a couple playoff games and now are in position just one game away from the Super Bowl. And then the Ravens, a team that, yes, they were the one seed, but I guess it just it, it didn't feel like people were that confident They've going kinda, into the postseason that yeah, they would be there. They've kind of been that team that's flown under the radar, if you can do that, as a one. I think there's been a lot more love for San Francisco than Baltimore. And remember that Baltimore took care of San Francisco, right, in the regular yes. season. So something to keep in mind if those two teams do match up. So let's start with the AFC title game, six straight AFC title game for the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. First playoff meeting between Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. Uh, the Ravens likely getting tied in Mark Andrews and corner Marlon Humphrey back in the lineup. So they're getting healthier as the postseason has gone along. Most teams, it's the opposite. So that's a look at some of the injuries. Meanwhile, the Chiefs could be without one of their key 
offensive lineman that would would be a loss for them on the injury report. So you look at this matchup, and at some point, I, I feel like I thought the drops and the issues that the Chiefs receivers have had all season would catch up to them. It's not done so, so far. Doesn't mean that couldn't happen this time. And for Baltimore, I mean, this is a chance for Lamar Jackson to really uh, put a stamp on what will likely be an MVP season. It's a it's a really huge matchup because I think we looked at Kansas, Kansas City and for throughout most of the season, at least me, I looked at the imperfections of the Chiefs. You mentioned the drops, the ineffectiveness with the with the receivers and the skill position players at times. The defense, while has been very good uh, at times, really kind of struggled. But uh, it, it, you could almost look at the, the Chiefs as saying the defense has led the way to get this far because of the deficiencies offensively that we're not accustomed to seeing from the Kansas City Chiefs. That said... Here are the Chiefs in their sixth straight conference championship game. First one to be played on the road in those six. Just last week at this time, everybody was questioning Lamar Jackson and what's wrong with him in the playoffs, and he put together, puts together a dynamic game. But still, I, I, I would not be surprised if Kansas City goes into Baltimore and wins this football game because we continue to try to find ways in which the Chiefs are going to fall off or not come through, and they seemingly have once again throughout these playoffs. And does one game eliminate the concerns for Lamar Jackson in big moments? I don't think it does. But at the same time, the Ravens, and I think this is a stat that that cannot be overlooked of their 13 regular season wins this season, 10 of them came against teams with winning records. You factor in last week and the uh, route of Houston and 11 of their 14 wins this season have come against teams with winning records. They are beating good teams and they have to beat a good team at home on Sunday to reach the Super Bowl. Another part that's intriguing about this matchup is when you think of the Chiefs, right? You think of Mahomes and you think of the offense, but the offense has just been kind of mediocre this season as far as where they rank in the NFL overall they're ninth so they're still top 10 but 19th running the ball which that's not normally their strength sixth in the past but just 15th in scoring offense meanwhile the defense is the number two scoring defense number four pass defense and overall they're number two so you couple that with the Ravens who were up there in, in every category except passing uh, offensively, and then the Ravens' defense, number one in scoring defense. So something's going to give as far as points go in this game. It wouldn't shock me if we have a lot of points with this matchup. And the Chiefs' minus 11 turnover differential, and yet they made it to the AFC title game. Ravens' plus plus 12. I mean, good teams usually aren't turning the ball over that much and still making playoff runs. But that's what the Chiefs have done. And for whatever reason, Patrick Mahomes plays his best when the moment is the biggest. And Lamar Jackson... That is the question mark of this game. And can he show up and and do something? Now, the Ravens are going to be a a tough defense for the Chiefs to try to solve. But I just think we're still in that prove-it mode for Lamar Jackson. And, you know, if they get behind early, will will Jackson be rattled? Like, you know, how is this going to play out on the field? Because I think 
you're looking at a a Ravens team that when things go, it's very similar to the Niners, right? When things start well and their their quarterback can be in be in a rhythm, and and for in this case we're talking about Lamar Jackson, they're not going to lose many games. But if they get behind early, how will that impact this game? Could could that happen and could that change the dynamic of this game? And I think running the football could be a paramount importance, not just with the running backs, but of course Lamar Jackson, Baltimore, the best running team in the entire NFL, and. Kansas City, middle of the pack in terms of its run defense. How do they contain Lamar Jackson? Can they force Lamar Jackson into mistakes? And that that defense of Kansas City has been very opportunistic when those opportunities have arose. And I think that's a, a, a storyline to watch as well, is Lamar Jackson still hasn't had that it game in the playoffs in terms of beating an elite opponent, an elite Opposite quarterback. This is the first ever matchup between former NFL MVPs under 30 in NFL history. So can Lamar Jackson outplay Patrick Mahomes? And it can be in a variety of ways. Uh, Less turnovers, more big plays, picking up big uh, first downs with your legs. Can Lamar, it doesn't have to be strictly yardage and passing. It can be other aspects of the game, and we'll see if Lamar Jackson can do that. I think some of those questions were alleviated last week, but knocking off Houston is different than knocking off the Kansas City Chiefs. And you have a a Ravens defense that is number one in scoring defense, number one in sacks, Number one in in, in, in takeaways, tie, tied for, for the top spot in takeaways this season. And you have Patrick Mahomes, who seems to excel when he's under pressure. I mean, the, the, the stats back that up as far as when he's under pressure, under pressure, he does quite well. On the flip side, you have Lamar Jackson and can the defensive line, in particular Chris Jones and George Karlaftis, uh, come through with the pressure to... To rattle Lamar that that's really this game to me I get all the hype is going to be around the two quarterbacks but this game to me is going to be one in the trenches which defensive line has the bigger impact on this game I mentioned uh, the Chiefs could be without Joe Tooney one of their offensive linemen a left guard that that could play into this but whichever defensive line is able to get pressure on the other quarterback I think that's what decides it and keep an eye on the kicking game because we've seen Buffalo burned we've seen Green Bay burned both last week the Ravens and Justin Tucker and the Chiefs and Harrison Butker have two of the best kickers in the entire league. Special teams, right? It can win and lose ball games, and that's the underrated aspect. If your special teams aren't special, you're not going to win. Yeah, especially uh, when you reach this point in in the season and in the playoffs. Chiefs, Ravens coming up Sunday afternoon. We'll join that one in progress approximately 3.30, so early on, uh, or some point in the first quarter after Purdue and Rutgers right here on 1380 The Fan in 100.9 FM. So, who do you like for that game? Oh, man, I'm going the Chiefs. I, uh, right? I, I just I can't pick against Mahomes. I, me neither. Even though I've been saying all season at some point, the Chiefs' drops are going to catch up to them and, and what they've done in the the receiver game. At some point, that will be a factor. It hasn't been enough in this offseason to 
get them to to drop games, but I just I can't go against Mahomes, right? No, me neither. I can't go against Mahomes or that defense. I think that defense could make the day pretty rough for Lamar Jackson. And I think Kansas City, as much questions as even I've had this season, I'm still not in a position to bet against Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and company. Which means we'll probably be wrong. Yes. (laughs) That's how these things uh, usually work out. Meanwhile, the NFC championship game, you have the Lions at the 49ers, San Francisco. They've been a dominant team all season. Not really surprised they're in this spot. Detroit, a a surprise in the sense that I think I felt like the Lions were either going to lose to the Rams in that home playoff game in the wild card or go on a deep run. Well, I picked them to lose to the Rams. I was wrong. Here they are in the NFC title game. Go figure. You look at this matchup, and I think on paper, it's like the Niners are a dominant team, right? But will there be some sort of factor that kind of changes this? I mean, across the board, outside of maybe quarterback, which I guess is a toss-up, I would take Goff over Purdy just because Goff is more proven in the postseason. But across the board, it this game, and you look at the matchups, heavily favors San Francisco. They do, and... It's a tremendous story for Detroit uh, to reach this point and to have the success. What first time in 32 years they've been able to get to a, a NFC championship game, of course, never been to a Super Bowl. And meanwhile, this, the 49ers, this will be their fourth straight, or no, four and five NFC championship game. Uh, the disappointing season in 2020 that I keep forgetting about. But they lost what 2021 to the Rams in a close one got blown out last year by the Eagles. This to me looks like a team that are two teams where I'm saying the lions aren't quite there yet. And the 49ers are due. The 49ers are due to get to the super bowl or at least back to the super bowl for the first time since 2019 when they lost to the chiefs. And I just don't think the Lions are quite there yet from going to not making the playoffs last year to the Super Bowl. It's just too big of a leap for me. Um, I think Brock Purdy is good enough. I think Christian McCaffrey is the best offensive player, uh, non-quarterback in the entire league, and I don't think that's up for debate. And I just think that San Francisco has had the experience in these games and they're going to use that maybe as the catalyst to beat the Lions. I'm not saying the, the, the moment's going to be too big for the Lions. I just, it's a new experience for them. And I think a team that's been there, done that, particularly in hosting, has the edge. And... Also, something to think about. So, Debo Samuel, that that viewed as a a key player for Which this would be 49ers a big loss team. If the 49ers don't have Debo Samuel. He was at practice yesterday. I I would think he plays. Now, is he limited? Yes, but I would think he plays uh, coming up tomorrow. I think it, for Detroit, it's ev- a lot. Every I don't say everything has to go right. A lot has to go right. And I'm talking about you don't change anything what you've been doing, Dan Campbell, all season long. You're going to be ultra-aggressive. You're going to go for it on fourth down. You're going to do this, that, and the other. If you can execute in those moments, you have a chance. But to me, I think the Lions still, they're better, they have better days ahead in coming years. I just don't think this is the year where 
it all falls in line and they win on the road at San Francisco to get to a Super Bowl. I think the 49ers capture this win and head to Super Bowl 58. The Niners 0-2 this season when Debo Samuel doesn't play 8-9 since he was drafted. Uh, the record when Debo Samuel not in the lineup for San Francisco. So obviously that's going to be the, the key thing to watch. But let's not forget Sam Laporta limited as well for the Lions. That could be a key loss. And for San Francisco, I... We don't know what to do with Brock Purdy, right? When it when it comes to quarterback, right? <laughs> Statistically, he's great, but you watch him play, and occasionally there's a good throw. But you watch him play, and you're like, yeah, this guy doesn't have it, whatever it is. And it's just kind of the the most confusing conundrum when it comes to evaluating quarterbacks, because it, it's either yeah he plays really well, or he has just a completely terrible game and looks rattled and looks out of his depth. I don't know what Brock Purdy is showing up on Sunday. Does that feel like a huge factor in this game? Yes. And he was lucky that Green Bay missed on a couple of should-be interceptions last week. Does that change this week? Right. That, that, that's that's something to think about, too. Well, I think, uh, and conversely, I think you look at Jared Goff, and I know he's been to a Super Bowl. I know he's performed in an NF- NFC Championship game, but he hasn't been electric, lights out. Um, in those games in 2019 with the Rams. Um, but since then, uh, over the last four appearances in the playoffs, has not turned the ball over. Uh, five touchdown passes, zero interceptions, two of those playoff games with the Rams, and then the two this year with the Detroit Lions. Can that continue? I think as much as we talk about Brock Purdy, I think Jared Goff is just as important in this matchup. He needs to have a huge game for the Detroit Lions to have a chance in this one on the road. So all eyes on Brock Purdy and Jared Goff in this matchup. All right. When it comes down to it, uh, to me, I, I, I got to go with San Francisco. No, me too. I think it's uh, it's Chiefs Niners. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Baltimore and San Francisco. I would be very surprised if the NFC representative is the Detroit Lions. I would as well. Great story, right? Just not there yet. Not not quite, I think, ready for the moment. But I, I think next year, right, they'll, they'll be a favorite uh, in the NFC, and we'll, we'll see what happens this offseason, of course. Th- that always factors in. But the Lions are close, and the fact that they're even close is saying a lot. Yes. No, uh, absolutely. 46862. Let us know your thoughts. AFC, NFC championship game winners. Uh, you can just text us your picks again, four, six, eight, six, two on the text line. Just put in CK before your message. See if you agree or disagree with us. Let us know on the text line. Speaking of the 49ers coming up next, even NFL stadiums are getting mega contracts. We'll explain Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380, the fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380, the fan 100.9 FM. Caleb hatch, Justin Kenny with you and it's not just players getting mega contracts these days. NFL stadiums getting mega contracts as well. The 49ers reached an extension for their naming rights deal with Levi's. $170 million naming rights extension. So it'll be one of the NFL's biggest stadium deals. The new deal keeps Levi's and the Niners connected through 2043. Obviously, the NFC championship game being played there on Sunday evening. And other details of this, there's still 
10 years left on a 20 year, $220 million deal. When the extension kicks in, it'll be $17 million per year. Third in the NFL behind SoFi stadium in, in LA and AT&T stadium in Dallas. No surprise. Those are the, the top ones, right? I, I don't think anyone's well, so shocked by that. Costs so damn much. They yes. better have the most yeah. lucrative. Yeah. Which theirs is <laughs> nearly double. Um, AT&T Stadium, which is valued at 17 to 19 million a year. SoFi, $31.25 million per year uh, in a 20-year, $625 million deal. Obviously, it helps that they host two teams, so that also makes sense. They would be up there. True. Levi's Stadium, again, 17 million. Jets and Giants, they're just getting a, a paltry $16 million <laughs> from MetLife per year. Paltry. I like the word. Yeah. Good job. Well, there's there's money in the NFL, uh, even with the naming rights of uh, the stadiums. I wonder what Lucas Oil is paying. I don't know, because I mean, that deal's on the older side. Yeah. Um, and the other thing about Levi's Stadium, it's not just that the Niners have obviously had success this era, <laughs> that they hosted Super Bowl 50 back in February of 2016 before they were really successful. Yeah. Uh, that was post-Harbaugh, pre-Kyle Shanahan. But then also they're getting Super Bowl 60 in two years mm. and the stadium scheduled to host the World Cup in 2026. So I looked this up really quick for Lucas Oil Stadium. Uh, when the, the when the building was built in 2006, Lucas Oil secured a $122 million deal for 20 years. Wow. So just what what is that? I have no. Why do we always have to do math? Why, yeah, here? math was not part of the show. Dude, it's only six point one million a year, thereabouts. A little over six million. It's, a, it's a, year. a steal. But yeah, what's interesting is it's coming up. Yeah, when is that deal? Be twenty twenty six. Okay, that's pretty soon. So, well, Lucas, so I would imagine they re up on that, but um, you know, it's kind of like. The Hoosier Dome, and then it was the RCA Dome. People call it, still called it the Hoosier Dome. Let alone, don't get us started on Banker's Life, Conseco, Gamebridge, Fieldhouse <laughs> down in Indy. So synonymous with Lucas Oil Stadium down in Indianapolis. Uh, the presumption is Lucas Oil re-ups, but the interesting thing uh, that, that Levi's was they still had 10 years left in their deal and re-up this thing. So what does Lucas Oil do? down at the stadium in Indianapolis. We'll see. And, and at Lucas Oil, their sponsorship of the Colts Stadium, way less confusing than the sponsors that have gone through what is now what Lucas Oil Raceway, which used to be Indianapolis Raceway Park, and then ORP O'Reilly Raceway Park, and then there was like another name, and I'm forgetting mixed in. I mean, it, it's all confusing. Kind of right? like uh, Verizon Music yeah, Center, yeah. you know, Clips. Verizon and, Wireless Music Center, Klipsch Music Center, now it's Ruoff Music Deer Center. Deer Park, or do, not Deer Park, was Deer it? Deer Creek. Deer Creek, That's the yes. original name. Yes. Yeah. Which a lot of people still call it Deer Creek. Yes, but um, man, if if it happens and Lucas Oil Stadium is no longer Lucas Oil Stadium after 2026, if there's another uh, company that comes in and sponsors it, that's going to be a big change because we just, you say Lucas Oil and people know what you're talking about. Yes. The the venue, not the company. I mean, you say, you know, oh, we're, we're we're going down to Lucas Oil this weekend or whatever. Or uh, I've heard people refer to it as the Luke. Yes. Which, eh. And that does, that's that doesn't go for with me. me. But, um, you know, it's just something that becomes synonymous. 
I, I've, I've said this too about Parkview Field downtown. It's almost become such a thing that you don't even think about Parkview when you say Parkview Field. And it's almost kind of the same with, with Lucas Oil Stadium. It's just, it's one in the same because that's the only um, name it's ever had. That's the good and bad, right? Of a long-term naming rights deal that you don't even think about the brand in the name. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, like it's good because they're, they have that brand awareness, but it's also right. bad because you're not thinking about the product or service or whatever and that's, the that's di- associated with exactly. The that's like the disconnect that I think people that sponsors have is like, like Lucas oil stadium. Like how many people really think about Lucas oil when you say Lucas oil stadium? I, I certainly don't. So Lucas Oil thinks this is great. Everybody knows what Lucas Oil Stadium is. Like, yeah, we do, but it's because of the building, not your company. You know, so I'm sure there's metrics to say, yes, it does help their business. But at the same time, I think the majority of people don't think about Lucas Oil products when you think about Lucas Oil Stadium. And I I question how many people think about Parkview, Parkview, uh, you know, medicine when you think Parkview Field. It's worked so effectively that you don't even think about it. it it's it's kind of like, and there's a, a word for this. I always forget what it is, but you know, like Kleenex or Band-Aid or, yeah, you know, when, when the brand the name product, yeah. is, you know, no one's saying a, a facial tissue. They're saying Kleenex. Yeah, clean, no even one's if it's saying not a Kleenex brand. adhesive bandage, they're saying Band-Aid. Right. Yeah, so, it's interesting. I'm sure, I'm sure it's, it's worth it, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's almost worked too well for certain things. I wonder if it's like that with Levi Stadium, although it's had other names, I think. I mean, no, that's that's, that's the, the only, only name it's ever had. It's ever had. Okay. Because remember that? That's that right. Was, and uh, then, opened in what, 2014? I believe. That, so Yeah. So we'll see. Um with Lucas Oil Stadium. I mean, we've had the revolving door with Cambridge Fieldhouse, whatever it's being called nowadays. Uh, we haven't had that with Lucas Oil Stadium. Could we have it in a couple of years if Lucas Oil doesn't re-up? We shall see. Coming up on the other side, we'll wrap it up here on a Friday. This was missing for 30 years. The city of Louisville wanted it back, and it turned up in a man's backyard. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Final time here on a Friday. Little Smashing Pumpkins to wrap it up. 1979. Caleb and Kenny in the morning. 1380 The Fan. 100.9 FM. Couple texts I want to get to real quick. Uh, Lamar and the Ravens will win the AFC Championship and the Super Bowl over the 49ers. And that's one texter's pick. Also, someone else saying, uh, CK, if Belichick doesn't get a coaching job, your next poll should be which network hires him as a (laughs) studio analyst. (laughs) You know, he was really good on game day for Army-Navy. Yeah. That is true. Uh, I know it was just one appearance, but uh, you saw a side of Bill Belichick you don't often see. So uh, I would not mind him whatsoever to be a, uh, a in the studio type guy. But you know, some of these the these desks are getting way full. I mean, uh, how many people are going to put at these uh, these uh, analyst desks? It's five, comical four, because five, six. 20 years ago, the studio or the desk was two people, yes. right? Then it was then three. three and four and four five felt and six. Like too much. Now we're at six. There's, of course, the infamous CNN uh, picture meme of like election covers where it's like 15 people around <laughs> right? a desk. That, that's uh, what we're getting at. Yeah. I just don't get how everyone can say something and you fit it into time. It's, yeah, especially short amount of time, like at halftime of games. You got like three minutes. It's not enough time after you show highlights of each of these guys talking. 
So, yeah, I agree. But I'm sure he'll find a spot somewhere if he wants it. Absolutely. All right. Final story. A statue that went missing uh, from Louisville about 30 years ago has been returned to the city by a man who had it in his backyard. David Greer said his father worked on a renovation project in 1996 at the Belvedere, which was an elevated event space in downtown Louisville, okay. when he brought the statue home. Uh, he said, Dad said they tossed it to the side and he asked if he could have it. And they said, sure. And that's where it began, the, the life at the house. It uh, The statue depicts the Greek god Pan paying, playing a flute. Um, and then there was some research back in December. Greer said he discovered that the Louisville Metro Public Arts Department had been searching for the artwork. Put two and two together and he's like, hey, I think we have something that belongs to you. Yeah. So returned it back. Uh, it's a freaky looking statue, by the yeah, way. Yeah, it is kind of scary. Um, but now going to be returned, apparently, after 30 years of being missing. Hard to believe. All right, that wraps it up for us. Dan Patrick up next. The Herd with Colin Coward at noon. Indiana Sports Beat with Jim Coyle from 3 to 4. And the Sports Rush with Brett Rump back in the saddle today from 4 to 6. Right here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.